0: Mealpass me, 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 presentation Like we always do about this time Out
1: in the streets they call it
0: Motivating individual leadership for public advancement
1: What's up everybody Welcome back to the Me show on today's episode we have our program and policy director Cesar Lara. So in this episode you know he goes through is able to talk about his actual story in the movement work and you know getting involved as a 13 year old kid you know being able to tell everybody to put up or shut up um so you know we appreciate him coming on.
2: Put up or shut up wise words from Cesar Lara folks you know hope y'all enjoy this episode a lot of knowledge a lot of experiences coming through you know, 31 years uh, of uh, organizing, right, of being uh, uh, educated, right, of the current uh, circumstances and conditions that our people living through. So, you know, tune in, you know, check it out and uh, get involved, you know, get involved in your local, county, state, federal legislation and your budget processes, right? All those things that, uh, that affect our, our community, right? That affect our lives, you know, directly. Um, pero con esto, you know, it's good to be back. I know I've missed a few episodes, y'all, and uh, but it feels good to be around folks again. You know what I'm saying? Uh, yeah. So, peace. Hey, Cuba Uh Welcome to the Milpa Show. You know, it's good to uh, have you here being highlighted. Um, I think, uh, well, at least for us, we know who you are, right? But for the, you know, just for the audience here. Um, you know, you come to Milpa and the movement space with a direct experience as a child, right? You've had, uh, you know, organizing jobs, you know, in the realm of activism, uh, relationship to the Chicano movement, the UFW, all those things, right? And uh, which is a very interesting uh, story, right? And your progress, growth and, uh, and learning experiences, right? And at the end of the day, all this knowledge that you carry, Um, But in your own words, you know, and as much as you want to share um, to us, to the audience, right, Uh, what is that story? What is your story? What is that Cesar Lara, you know, upbringing and what brought you and motivated you to do this work, you know, and why do you continue to do the things that you do?
0: No, you know, thank you for allowing me to be here. I, I've been at Milpa since the Milpa show started, and I've been actively avoiding being on the show because I wanted to make sure that other people are highlighted. But to be honest, just, you know, being a little bit nervous and making sure that that I, I, I say my palabra in a true way. But just to give you a little bit about my background, you know, I, I got involved in politics at a weird point. And I think for all of us that get involved, it's because some life experience pushes you there. And my life experience was a simple one. I was riding my bike to school one day when I was 13 years old, uh, and the small town of Greenfield here in Monterey County, and I almost got, got run over by a car. A guy pulled out, wasn't paying attention. and literally almost hit me, and I had to go in the middle of the street, and another car was coming, honked, and, and it was just a little bit crazy and very scared for a 13 year old, just at 7.45 in the morning, you know, riding my bike to school. and. Uh, and i complained to a teacher and i said hey this is what happened you know um and it wasn't the first story i heard in on this street on Alcamino real in greenfield which is basically main streets um he told me to complain to an, another teacher who happened to be on the city council and he sat down broke it down and said you know the, these are the levels of government and when you want something like bike lanes or other kind of community stuff you go to a city council meeting and he um, you know, Valen told me to show up to a city council meeting, and under public comment, I said my piece, and the rest is history. I've been involved in politics since I was 13 years old. Uh, about a year later, I got asked to be on the Monterey County Youth Commission that advised the Board of Supervisors on critical issues that we're still living through now. You know, Silver Star is a program through the probation department that takes youth that have been system impacted to do a transition out of being impacted. Uh, so I'm like 14 years old kid, not not having much life experience, but they wanted to hear from from youth and you know and, and the rest is history. You know, I, I started my own youth commission in Greenfield when I was a kid, um, around that age, and it was actually a weird government function, but it was a, a youth commission that was governed by the school board and the city council at the same time. And it's rare that two government entities come together, but they started a the youth commission in Greenfield. And I did that through my through my high school career. Um, went to Chico State, you know, party school, but 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 really, it was a good opportunity for me to get out of South Monterey County as a 13 year old kid. Both my parents were you know farm worker uh, farm workers immigrants. You know, um, my mom came in a trunk of a car, uh, and my dad walked over the Arizona desert. And when when they were young, my dad was working at a car wash. He had a lot of out in jobs and he was working at a car wash and immigration shut up. He ran with a coworker of his. Um, this, this this coworker ended up being my uncle because that's where he met my mom during an immigration raid. And so as I talk about critical issues, everything from bike lanes to immigration to you know local, county, state issues, I always see it through the lens of, of my parents and then later on through the lens of my kids. So at 13 year old, I did all that, went to Chico State, uh, came home uh, looking for a job over the summers, and I became a congressional aide, and had great opportunities with uh, Congressman Sam Farr. He was our congressman here since the '90s, and just retired a couple of years ago. and And I saw all lenses, all levels of government there. and And then uh, graduated from college with, you know, in, uh, uh, pursuing a degree in international relations and international business, and thinking I'm going to travel the world. But I ended up coming back home. You know, started working in nonprofit world and graduated from Chico State. Uh, started working with the United Farm Workers Political Department. Literally graduated on a Saturday, and the following Wednesday, I was in La Paz meeting Arturo Rodriguez and Dolores Huerta, and really getting pushed into a political campaign. Uh, and then was there for a couple of years, and then got asked to return back to Congressman Sam Farr's office and was his scheduler, which meant. Any issue the congressman needed to meet with people on locally had to come through me. So I received all the memos, got all the briefings, had to had to actually um, keep a congressman up to date on his meetings. And so those issues kind of showed me a big array of how complicated politics are in any community, and more especially the community I grew up in here in in, in Monterey and the Salinas Valley. And you know, did that for a while. Got asked again to come back to United Farm Workers. And was state operations director for a nonprofit they started in California called Lupe, El Año de Palo a nonprofit that Cesar Chavez started back in the 80s that was dormant in California, but they were pretty active in New Mexico and Texas. Um, and we started in California. Next thing I know, from state operations director managing five offices across California, I became the state director. And then after a while, I left there and really came home and been at the labor council and then more recently at building healthy communities i did policy and communications work there and then ended up at milpa for the last two and a half years and and i would say i learned a lot from milpa has still have a lot to learn but really excited about being at an organization that really centers community centers life experience and really base builds the next seven, seven generations of leaders in, in our community so really happy to be here with you all
2: yeah <clears throat> yeah gracias for sharing you know and i want you know just uh i guess out of curiosity you know um what was it like in school at that time when you you know when you went through that you had that uh like that epiphany right like man this is what i want to do yeah I, you know because you know it's been a little while you know what i'm saying yeah <laughs> So I'm, just-
0: I'm old i'm, I'm old. I'm, 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 old. I'm, I'm i could say i'm 44 years old but I think I had awakening, just like most of California Latinos had awakening. Prop 187 and Prop 209, two critical issues in California that really has really transformed the, the landscape. On those two issues, Latinos lost. Proposition 187 and 209, the majority of voters voted us down, basically said that we don't want Latinos in our community, um, and especially immigrants. And, and you have to look at it, those were my parents. I happen to be born in a hospital in the United States, but my parents came here to make this country better. And I still remember organizing our school walkout on Proposition 209 uh, and, and and actually getting advice from a teacher uh, to say, hey, you may want to call other people. You might get some support. So out of the blue, because I met somebody from the United Farm Workers, this is before I worked for them. Out of the blue calling the United Farm Workers and saying, hey, you know, I'm a high school student i'm part of the organizing team working on march out of school and and actually marching organizing the march making sure we're on one side of the road marching up the street not knowing what my phone call was gonna end up being and halfway through the march we had 100 ufw flags with community people joining us we marched in the middle of king city uh, while well organized making sure we didn't uh trigger the police because we had a police escort in the back, police escort in the front. We had riots, uh, CHP officers ready because they were afraid we were gonna get on the freeway, but we ended up not going on the freeway. And that was my first awakening to not just showing up to city council meetings, saying my piece, but actually organizing and building a base to really transform our, our, our community. And I think I carried that, that movement forward in all the work that I do that it's, you know, you got to put up or shut up. You know, in our community so often, we have this disease called apathy. And for me, Proposition 209 was a direct attack on Latinos in California. And my parents came to this country to make this country better than what they founded. And for the voters of California, the uneducated voters of California, to reject that was, was a surprise to me but also showed that we weren't doing enough in the communities, we weren't doing enough in the streets, we weren't organizing, we weren't being politically engaged. And, you know, there's a saying, if you can't start at home, how can you organize the world? Well, at home means you have to think of yourself. Um, and, you know, and, and and my parents were very supportive. Well, I didn't understand it, but were very supportive of the work that I was doing. And as a 13, 14, 15 year old kid in King City and Greenfield, it was, it was a hard, Uh, pill to swallow because the city council was all white you know um, the school board was all white and we had 80 or 90 percent of the school population latino mexican immigrants Um, and and i knew that was wrong but it's taken i'm still living through my generation to figure that out and and thinking about it through the lens that milpa looks through things looking at seven generations in the future which means you can't just think of yourself you have to think of the chess moves you got to make in history, in time and space, um, is important. And, you know, we have to continue what what Cesar Chavez did when this guy, Fred Ross, this organizer that came into South San Jose, was, was going around and looking for leaders and he found this farm worker, Navy vet, farm worker, that basically said, this is the person to talk to convinced them, after a lot of lobbying, to say, can you host a house meeting? Which a house meeting is just having eight to 10 of your friends in your living room to talk to somebody, this guy Fred Ross, and, and saying, these are the community issues that are happening. We need to break the cycle of apathy and get involved and do something. And you know the radical thing that Cesar Chavez was was, was fighting for at that time? Was voter registration. And he was telling people, was like, if you don't know who to vote for, just show up to the poll site, get behind the curtain, wait there a couple minutes, and then walk out, because the county pays attention to who votes. And if they showed a high number of Latino voting strength people show up, they're going to say, oh, we need to actually do something about it, because they're actually dictating who's elected. And that was the radical things that César Chávez did. You know the second radical thing when he started the United Farm Workers, because he was in the CSO, then created the Farm Workers? The first thing that Cesar Chavez, the radical communist, you know, that, that the industry was uh, fighting for, the two big issues was meal breaks, bathrooms, and water. So it was actually three things, clean drinking water and a bathroom so a farm worker could have some dignity in, in the working job. That's what he was fighting for. So when we fight for the issues that we fight for at Milpa, we have to think about that. It, that was two generations ago. Now we need to think of seven generations ahead of us. And so we need to think in a big, grandiose, transformative way but also take small steps towards that. Like, I've always said this metaphor, to eat an elephant, you can't eat it in one bite, but you need to eat it at one spoonful at a time. So for us to create the change that we want to make, we need to do it at one step at a time, one spoonful at a time. So sometimes it feels like we take one step forward and two steps back. But let's continue doing it because there's going to be times when we take three steps forward and maybe one step back and, and transform the systems of oppression.
1: That's super cool, said. And I think through all of that, you know, you were in the movement as a youth. So what is one of the big reasons and ways you think that you should be getting involved?
0: If we're doing our job correctly, we're thinking of seven generations ahead of us. And there's going to be the generation that we're currently in or the generation that's right before us that need some energy, need some new blood. Um, the work that we do is very tiring. Um, I, was, I was talking to a group of people the other day and it's like, at times you're going to feel a little blue. You're going to feel like, why am I doing this for our community? Um, and at those times of despair, you have to think of why do we do the work that we do. And, you know, the young people, and, and I said earlier, so much of the work growing up, I looked at it through the lens of my parents. Um, now I have three kids, and I have to look at it through the lens of my kids, and and what am I going to do to prepare my family to be an activist? And you know, my my eight-year-old son right now is rambunctious, but he's he stands up for himself, and and the question is, he needs to be ready to stand up for everybody. You know same thing for my daughter and same thing for my older son and i'm hoping that I, I give them the values that i've learned here at milpa to be close to the fire to to be you know um internal to to make sure that they address traumas that they might um live through but also to celebrate the wins you know, that we have you know we've i'm proud of the work that we've done at milpa i'm proud of the movement work that we've done here on the center coast through 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 all my friends You know, if it's providing health insurance for undocumented adults in Monterey County, we were able to do that as a coalition. To look at housing in a different way with the regional farm worker housing, you know, that's a victory. You know, looking at, you know, our largest employer agriculture, how how are we gonna house the people that work in this valley? You know, to, you know, really look at, you know, critical community issues like having enough, you know, parks and, and streets because at the end, Public safety is more than police. And at Root, we at Milpa fundamentally believe that the way to build healthier communities is to transform our, our our budgets to be more equitable. Because you could talk about what you want to do in our community, but until you allocate resources and money to do that, that's putting your words to action. If there isn't enough youth programming in our community of Salinas or or here on the Central Coast or any of the communities, and then let's fund that. If we want to make sure that our streets are well-designed, let's fund that. You know, you make sure that, that our county hospital is well-funded to provide the healthcare for, for, for those people in the community that need it more, we need to fund that. And for that, we need to look at the way we do budgeting. And so often, our communities here on the Central Coast uh, have a high percentage of, of funding going to police. And let's be honest, police are a solution to a problem that's out of hand. And before you invest in downstream approaches, because police, policing, like police officers, are a downstream approach. If you wanna be more effective with the money you use, you need to invest upstream. And that's a better education system, that's a better park and rec system, that's a better library system. That's what you need to do. My first job ever at 13 years old, was working at the Monterey County Library System in Greenfield. I was getting paid like five hours a week and minimum wage was like $4 an hour. Five hours a week. So when somebody returned a library book, I was the guy that would find the, the little car that used to go in the books. I used to find it, they used to call it slipping. That job doesn't exist anymore, but I used to do that for five hours a week at, thir- at 13 years old. And I gave half my paycheck to my parents because they both worked out in the fields and that's the way I was benefiting them. And I wasn't even getting a lot of money. But I, I think that what my life experience, I'm hoping I translate that to my kids and the friends of my kids. You know, my, my daughter right now is heavily involved in the LGBTQ movement in, in Monterey County. Her and her friends are the club at their middle school on these critical community issues. And I'm happy that she's being an activist. You know, my older son. You know, he's he's marched with me when we marched with Cesar Chavez or with hotel workers or other workers. So I'm hoping that the values that I picked up, because I almost got ran over by a car, and happened to jump into politics, that I'm able to uh, bring that organically to my kids, and and hopefully they're going to do that to their kids. And so I guess that's the best gift that I could do beyond helping milpa, helping our community. Uh, increase the movement of youth activists in our county, but we also activate the the the, viejitos, the older people than me. Because at the end, they're voters in most in most cases. And if we turn people out to a city council meeting, just imagine the power. If the abuelitos, the mothers, and the children show up to a school board meeting or show up to a city council meeting and say, we want more equitable budgeting. But right now that's not happening city of salinas has 43.5 percent of their city budget that goes to police that means that 43.5 cents you know goes to police out of every dollar that is spent in the city and in the library and rec center it's like 13 percent, 13 cents we can't continue doing that and then say that we want build build healthier communities we need to transform the way that they do budgeting make sure that The words that they say about transforming communities, transforming our community, are put into action. And budgets are one way. There's also other ways to do it. But part of it is finding opportunities for people to be civically engaged because it is our responsibility as a community to hold systems of power accountable. And if not, it's our fault. So.
2: Yeah, no, strong work ethic, you know? And I think there's this thing You know, yes, we must empower and support our youth, but I think you you touched on something. We have to also approach this uh, through an intergenerational lens, you know? Everybody needs to be involved, you know? Uh, Those that have the experience need to come back and provide that space and support for these young leaders actually to get involved in a healthy way, right? With good work ethics, and at the end of the day, not get bamboozled by mainstream uh, propaganda mm-hmm. or whatnot, you know. So, gracias for, for saying that and for sharing that, you know, and just, you know, you touched on the whole budget, right? Uh, you know, having an equitable budget, uh, you know, budgeting for our values. I know that here with the work locally, you know, we, uh, we've we engaged, we've been engaging budget work at the county and city levels, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so maybe you could tell us a little bit, you know, why should folks care about our budget 831?
0: Well, at, at the end, it, it goes back to what I was told as a 13 year old, you know, put up or shut up. If you're going to complain about the way and the conditions that we're living in, you need to do something about it. And and when I you know, when you look at a budget, it's just a piece of paper. It's a budget report. But actually, what is behind that budget? If, if 13% of the city budget goes to all of our parks, all of our rec centers, and all of our libraries, and you want to transform the community that you're living in to be more civically engaged, to be healthier, to have sports, to have activities, you have to say enough is enough. You can't continue doing that. So, you know, you know so much of the energy in the community is about what Milpa's against, but they need to be focused on what we're for. Because nobody could argue what we're for. What we're, we're for is to make sure that we prevent the use of police. And, and if you're gonna do that, you need to invest upstream. And so why need why the community needs to get involved? And, and I'm just saying the city budget. We could say the same about our county budget. We could see be talking about the same. At, at, our, at our state and the way that the state of California allocates money, or the way the federal government s- spends their money. And I'm, and I'm really proud of the work that we've done at Milpa that we're engaged at all levels. You know, if it's preventing SROs at a school, school district in South Monterey County or in Santa Cruz County, or talking about the 1994 crime bill that needs to be reformed and to transform federal systems in every step in between um we need to be engaged so every issue or every entity is slightly different i will tell you right now in the city of salinas we need to invest and double our investment into parks recreation and public works i can give you a number but i know where to take it from 43.5 percent of the city is not um, being spent as a good investment in our community. But I could tell you if you invest in young people with better rec centers, so they could actually have recreation opportunities and be kept busy after school, that's gonna be a win. Or if you have libraries, because let's be honest, the housing conditions in the city of Salinas, which is the biggest city in the Tri-County area, are major. Where a kid doesn't have the space to do his homework, you may want to open up libraries until eight o'clock at night or seven o'clock at night so students could go to a library, have Wi-Fi access because their parents can't afford Wi-Fi access and be able to do their, their homework in, in a quiet space. I think that's a better investment than, than than police. If And and then if you look at the county level, let's look at how much money is being spent in our sheriff's department. Uh voters of california and and i want to say proud voters of monterey county voted at a high percentage to implement prop 47 and one of the biggest things about prop 47 is that you would have savings and what you do with that savings was defined at the state level but no definition was done at the local level so we have a report that the public institute the budget institute of california came up with that said that the county of monterey has like $2 million worth of savings a year. And guess what? Those $2 million should be spent at the county level because counties run behavioral health services. They run our county hospitals. They run our county park system. That's where that savings needs to be. But what's currently happening is, as numbers are going down in our jails, numbers are going down in our probation department, they're still allocating fat budgets. The budgets haven't been, have never been higher with the population as small as it is so we need to reinvest because guess what if somebody leaves uh, probation um and and youth incarceration or leaves the county jail and they have health care set up for them housing set up for them and workforce training for them that's a way to break the cycle of incarceration and right now the the county of monterey has that power and they could do something about it Now, if we want to get into the state level, the state right now has a surplus. We have a lot of money in the state of California. Everybody thought that COVID was going to hurt us, but economically, bottom line, we have more money than we know what to do in California. So let's, guess what? Let's close down our DJJ youth prisons, send them, send those young people closer to home and give the, give the counties money to, guess what? Look at youth incarceration through a healthcare lens. SB- uh, 823 was established last year. Governor Brown, I mean Governor Newsom, signed it into law. Clo- that's happening. But now we got to force our, our 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 state and our counties to allocate that money through a health lens because that's what that law did. It moved it moved the youth incarceration away from the BSCC, which is the state board that does corrections, to a OYCR a brand new department. That that is established within the Health and Human Services to apply the changes that we're applying through a health lens. Because guess what? We need to break the cycle of incarceration, not because we'll, we'll save money, but because it's better for California. That we need to break the cycle of incarceration in California because at the national level, because that's the next level, nationally um, and internationally, the United States is 5% of the world population. We're 5%. We might think we're the center of the universe and that everything comes to the United States, but we're only 5% of the population of the world. But guess what? We're 25% of prisoners across the world. 25% of prisoners across the world. And guess what? Those are not white people inside jails. Those are our communities of color. Those are people that look like me, that look like my neighbor, that look like my coworkers. And what we need to do is, at the federal level, look at incarceration in a different way and make sure that we don't make the mistakes of the past. In 1994, the Democrats sold out our community in many ways, but one of them was the 1994 crime bill. And now we're in 2022 looking at it through a different lens that we need to change the way that the federal government spends their money and actually looks at incarceration. So I say all that, we have work at every level in California, in the United States, and in the world to really change the way we do business. And one way is incarceration, but but we also have to look at it, not just for what we're against, but also what we're for. Where are we gonna invest that money that we're trying to take away from corrections? We need to invest it back in our communities.
2: Yeah, <clears throat> you know, I think there's a misconception of like, when we talk about uh, investing and and like reentry services, right? Investing in jobs and housing for those that are uh, struggling through their legal uh, circumstances, whether they get sentenced or you know um, go to prison or whatever it is, coming back. I think it's important to know that it's not like we we're not asking for free handouts. You know, we're not asking like this. We're just gonna give you a house and give you money every month and. And and then you're gonna be good. And no, I like, we actually for those for those of y'all that are listening, like we're actually asking for give us the platform and pathways so that we can work towards upward mobility because that's something that we want, that we need. A lot of the times we are not able to escape uh, our conditions, our living conditions because there is no opportunities, there is no uh, viable solutions for someone that's living with a record here in America, especially in our local communities, right? So again, you know, thank you for, for saying all that and bringing it up to, bring. I just wanted to uh, mention that because uh, living through, through that same experience myself, you know, um, and having the opportunity to learn from people like you, right? Uh, and do the work using my lived experience, right? I'm able to understand that, you know, it's like, and there is that misconception, uh, the stigma and the truth is like the racism biases and prejudicenesses, right? that affect our communities, even from our own people sometimes, yeah. is very real, you know, and... Um,
0: no, it's, it's, it's true, Bernie, and and I agree with you about, you know, it's not a handout, it's a hand up, but we also have to look at it this way. It's economically uh, in our best interest to invest in, in these issues. Right now in Monterey County, we spend $13 million to keep a youth center open. We have 20 youth average around 20 youth 23 youth if you want to be kind of in more in the ballpark and we spent 13 million dollars on 23 youth you know what each child in that facility could get 600 something thousand dollars like instead of like hey you know you did something wrong let's let's heal you up real quick but let's set you up because at the end of it you know Two-thirds of the population in Monterey County works in agriculture and hospitality. Those are a lot of housekeepers and a lot of farm workers. We have per capita the highest percentage of undocumented individuals, more than any county in California. And all that has trauma. And it's sometimes the parents are trying to do their best, but they're immigrants to the United States or don't know how to be true parents or or had an absentee parent and now they're, they're a single mother or a single father trying to make a living. And instead of keeping them down and incarcerating them, spending $600 and something thousand dollars a year on them, let's split it in half. Let's say $300,000. Say, hey, you know, you know we're going to heal you. We're going to provide these services. And then we're going to grab you by the hand and help you, you know, get a job, help you find some housing, you know, help you get some, you know, job, you know, job training opportunities. Here's your Medi-Cal card. That is more cost efficient than the 300,000 and that's even half of what the cost is. But right now let's be honest, people aren't making money off the back of people being in prison. and that's the big issue that's not being talked about. In the community, you know there's a whole thing is that you know you know este, you know he did wrong so he has to pay for it. Sometimes people have to do their time, but let's heal them up because what we want to do is break the cycles. just continue doing the same thing over and over again and guess what it's cost efficient as i pay taxes every year everybody that's watching this hopefully pays taxes every year and at the end of it you know it's cost efficient for you because just imagine you you pay less taxes because we're actually helping heal people wouldn't that be a win That who would argue with that? But there's people that argue with it because they're invested in making the billions of dollars that's being spent on the 25 percent of the population in the United States that's being imprisoned, and those are our African American brothers and sisters, those are latinos those are people of color, those are Native Americans, and there's very few white people.
2: You know, it makes me think about the youth center, which you're, you know, talking about the economics of it, you know, and. and it's true you know this is actually it's cost effective and in general it's going to create more revenue and that's it's interesting that talking economics or just you know uh macro views right it's like man it just makes so simple people are i guess we're just predisposed right to to be uh easily influenced by all this propaganda this fear-mongering you know, but going back to this this youth center, like, what would your vision be? Say to if we could repurpose and decarcerate the youth center, right?
0: Well, let's 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 you know let, let's look at that opportunity of of uh, of pain to an opportun- to a space of opportunity of growth. You know, just imagine transforming this youth center right in the heart of Salinas, right in the heart of East Salinas. And looking at things differently, you know, there's one saying that uh, Father Boyle, you know, he's a, a Catholic priest that started this homeboy industry in LA. He said the best way to stop a bullet is with a good job. And so, just imagine if we open up a restaurant there, and maybe open up a, a store there, and have people that were formerly incarcerated learn some skills to really um, transform and 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 live differently. You know, learn learn how to run a small business like a restaurant or open up the Salinas Valley marketplace where you could sell fresh produce and and, and teach people how to, you know, open up a retail, a retail store or something. That could be the same, the new owner of a, of a community market, that could be the new owner of a gas station, that could be the new owner of a five-star restaurant in our community. And that could start, in spaces like the youth center. But right now it's currently being used in a different way. And a lot of people don't know the history. The youth center there on Circle Drive here in the city of Salinas was opened as a hospital. And it got transformed and closed down in the early 80s and it got transformed into what we know now as a youth center. And let's be honest, the youth center is not a good name. It's a youth jail for people in our community. And currently, the population has gone so low, averaging around 23 students there, and they spent $13 million, you know, let's, you know, I don't have to replay the argument I just said earlier, but it's not a good, wise use of our taxpayer money.
1: Yeah, and you know, Sasab, you've covered on a lot of different things from the community, and there's so many organizations that, you know, are doing the work and going through the movement but, you know, with all your life experiences and
0: being in the movement work, what brought you to Milpa? Uh, you know, there's a lot of things that brought me to Milpa. You know, probably the biggest thing is experiencing incarceration. I've, I've been arrested a couple of times, but nothing in, in a major way. But I've had relatives who spent a lot of time in jail. You know, um, more recently, just, you know, five, six years ago, my cousin spent, uh, Spent, you know, a number of years in Texas at, at the jail system there, because he was undocumented, not doing well, got into drugs, and had to spend some time in jail. And he didn't come out in the best condition. He came out worse than where than he he went in there. And it took him years to recover. And I've had other family members who have faced incarceration. I've had other community members. Um, my time here in Milpa has exposed me to. A lot of new friends who who have that deep experience of incarceration, and and this can continue. And so we at Milpa, myself, believe that those that are um, victims of systems should be in the forefront of transforming those systems. And so you know th- that's why through th- through the work of my friends, they started Milpa, and the last couple of years I've had the privilege of working with you all to bring my life experience and my. Uh, 31 years of, you know, because it's been 31 years since I was 13 years old, you know, with all my experience to try and help uh, work with y'all to figure out and put up or shut up, you know, fix the systems that we've been talking about that have been holding our community down and transform them to uh, be, you know, systems of hope and systems of opportunity.
1: Yeah, and being the program and policy director, what does that look like for you, Cesar? What does your day-to-day look like? at
0: My day to day at and 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 Milpa, the one thing that I could say is not two days are the same. You know, um, there's a number of policy issues that I tackle um, just because of my role and my place. Um, and then there's a number of issues that I tackle with with my partners here at, at Milpa. And so one day I could be talking about, you know, how to transform our county system. The next day I could be talking about transforming our school system and you know and really working with the s- staff and our and our interns and our community volunteers and our, and our collaborating partners to really um, be as effective as possible to do really try and transform the change that we want to see in our community and really build systems not just for campaigns but for movements because i consider milpa as part of the movement you know just like when i started with the united farmworkers farmworker movement uh, i think that we have our own movement here um, with our partners across the state to transfer, transform it at whatever level we tackle. So a day in and day out here in in in, in at the Meetup office could be different because one day I could be spending all of my time with the comms team working on some communication strategy or op ed piece or something, and the next day, you know, I, I could be you know working with with our friends figuring out a program that we're going to do at a at a school or something or the next day I could be talking to you know somebody in the governor's office or somebody in the cabinet position talking about you know how I needed to transform this system and give us more affordable housing or more you know funding for rec centers or whatever needs to happen in our community so there's not one day that's the same in our our, our community but I'm really proud of of everybody here at Milpa that we work as a team to figure stuff out.
2: Yeah it's uh You know, it's an honor and privilege, right, to be able to be amongst uh, folks that are willing to learn, teach, school, right? Be vulnerable, be, uh, you know, stand in their palabra, you know, Uh, you know, shield up, warrior up, get ready for, you know, for the for the organized, get ready to be the vanguard for the people, you know. So, uh, appreciate those words, you know. Uh, So, you know, I think we're you know, coming to, coming to a good place of like reckoning, right? Because COVID really exploited and exposed a lot of the disparities and discrepancies going mm-hmm. on in our system, uh, even in our own homes and stuff. So I think, uh, like just thinking about COVID, inflation, right? Thinking about uh, the pandemic, right? It's coming to an end you know, quote-unquote, you know. Um, what, like, what should the community be looking for? Like, what do you think the changes you see happening or uh, the aggressive practices that that we call, like, oh, we're going to go back to normal, right? Yeah, yeah. Understanding that normal's actually not a really good thing because, you know, normal is what got us here in the first mm-hmm. place, you know? So maybe, like, in your own...
0: in. M- 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 my couple of thoughts on, on this issue is that, you know, there's different times in our U.S. history um, that we really have an opportunity to look ourselves in the mirror. And this um, this disease of COVID has really given the world an opportunity to look at, at themselves in the mirror. And the economy and the normal of the old cannot continue going forward. Um, the issues that were spotlighted during COVID are not issues that were invented by COVID. You know, issues of housing, issues of economics, issues of healthcare, issues of inequality, issues of racism were there before, maybe had a, a stronger light on it. But the, you know, if everybody here has lasted this long on this podcast, you know, here's an opportunity and a, and a call. You know, like, you know, when the last time US, in US history we had this, um, it was called the Great Depression and president roosevelt said let's have a great new deal let's let's look at the way the united states government is doing work and let's transform it and they actually employed a lot of people some of the buildings that we still do a lot of work in were done by the by the works administration um or 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 systems that we have in place right now were invented back then for their time they had to figure it out because it was a great depression now it's a we need a great new deal in in the united states and in the world and this is a pivot point that we have to really look at what we did in the past and not make the mistakes of the old economy make make the mistakes of the old society and actually look at things doing differently and i'm proud to say that some of the work that milpa has been fighting for since it it started are the things that need to be uplifted highlighted and transformed systems that um that that we've been fighting for for years that need to be in the forefront of what needs to be changed we need to look at racism and and classism head-on and look at the way the economy is in monterey county and look at the way that jobs are done like i said earlier two thirds of our jobs are in hospitality and ag those are a lot of agricultural workers and those are a lot of housekeepers when the median price of a home in monterey county is eight hundred and fifty thousand dollars with the average salary of a farm worker around $35,000 a year, is that sustainable? It is not. And so what, what I would say is that this is a pivot point. And we look our, we need to look ourselves in the mirror and say, what are we gonna do about it and break the cycles of apathy? Because there's so many house meetings I've been to over the years, or so many initiatives that have started in Salinas that are like, we wanna go out in the community and find out what's what are people feeling. And guess what? They've told us over and over and over again we have crappy jobs our housing conditions are terrible our parks are terrible our streets are terrible and you know and we need better health care and so at least california right now has you know is doing health care for all right now if the governor's budget goes through everybody in california no matter what their immigration status could qualify for a Medi-Cal. that's for people that qualify at a certain income i am proposing that we change that law to erase the income requirement and say that we should have healthcare for all. That's radical. And then let's look at housing. You know, we need tenant protection, a permanent tenant protection, and rent control in California to make sure that our incomes match to sustain this. Because guess what? At the end of it, if you look at all the properties in California because of Prop 13, they're charging the high rents because that's the market rate. That's not their expenses. Which means that people, and so often people of color, are making money off the back of the tenants and charging them 12, 13,000, 14,000 dollars for like a one-bedroom apartment. And they, their mortgage is probably 500 bucks a month if they have a mortgage at all. So guess what? Let's look at, at, at profit margins and look at like, what's more equitable way of collecting rents? Let's do that. You know, and job training stuff. You know, I'm part of a committee statewide that we're looking at the way the Department of Labor does business. There's millions and millions and millions and billions of dollars being spent on job training opportunities across California. And in this community, I'm on the local workforce development board. And we could use that money better to make sure that that we have high road jobs. That, that the dream that Father Boa says, the best way to stop a bully is with a good job, to find a good job. You know, Cesar Chavez, before he passed away, he said, being a farm worker is a profession. And if you're professional, you need professional wages and professional benefits. Are we doing that for our community? The buying power of agriculture workers in the Salinas Valley since 1980 has gone down, which means that on paper, they could be making, they're making more money, but they haven't kept up with inflation. So that's why we have these issues around healthcare and housing and everything else that I said. Guess what, maybe the owners of these farms could 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 pay employees better. You know, for years, because I come from unions where we negotiated with growers. And for years, we always fought at the table and said, you know, give us a raise. Taylor Farms is a good example, the biggest employer in, in, in Salinas and in Monterey County. You know, 50 cent raises, 25 cent raises. If we were lucky, 60 cent raises. Guess what, after the pandemic or during the pandemic, workers had a wildcat strike. He said we're not going to return to work until you pay us more overnight in 48 hours they were getting two dollar an hour raise increases and saying the following year i'm going to give you a dollar and the following year after that i'm going to give you a dollar after negotiating for 50 cents 25 cents 60 cents now all of a sudden they have enough uh, profit margin to pay farm workers a lot more money that is not the way we should look at economics that's not the way we should look at housing. That's not the way we should look at health, healthcare. So what I'm saying is we need a revolution. You know, the revolution that Bernie talked about, about the billionaires and, and gazillionaires or, or or others. We can't be holding up Elon Musk that just bought Twitter for multi-billion dollars. Where We could have used those $43 billion that he bought Twitter for. You know how many housings we could do in California where a lot of the Tesla owners live? We could build a lot of affordable housing or, or, or the Amazon owner that's trying to hold back the wages of Amazon workers that are earning just maybe a dollar above a minimum wage and that we all order from Amazon off of our phones. He should be paying high road jobs because he has so much money that he's sending up spaceships up in space and giving actors an opportunity to go up in space. Guess what? Maybe he should be using those billions of dollars into back into the workers that are making him the the money that he has. So that's the revolution that that we need to do in our community. And you know, like you know Sylvia Huerta, this community activist that's been around forever, she'll tell you she marched with Cesar Chavez and everything else. She's like, we need to put our pilas on and get to work. And so that's my big takeaway, takeaway for today. Let's start a revolution because they've been started before and been squashed down. But we need to sustain a revolution and and really focus on these critical community issues. We need to focus on.
2: Yeah, economic and psychological revolution. You know, mm-hmm. breaking the chains of oppression, and you know, taking the road of health and well-being. Yeah. You know, for our communities, our families, ourselves. You know, those are strong words. Yeah. You know, uh, for you viewers. You know, Cesar is coming. You know, he just dropped. He dropped some some knowledge right now. You know, and. Appreciate that once again, Sasad. you know. Um, you know, I think, I think all has been said, you know. Mm-hmm. I don't mm-hmm. think, I don't, you know, I guess I'll open up the space for you for any last uh, thoughts, comments, you know, uh, ideas, you know, a call to action in regards to getting involved in this, uh, in with our budget 831 at the county at the city levels, right? Uh, this is your space.
0: No, you know the biggest thing is just you know put up or shut up. If you're going to complain and tell me how bad um, the systems that are oppressing you are, do something about it. That's, that's my biggest takeaway. And and let's be honest, some of those systems have caused, or a lot of those systems have caused a lot of trauma. And so we also have to take opportunities to heal, because so often people are frozen in space and time because of the trauma that they've lived. And part of the healing process is action, is, you know, is, you know in the step, 10 step process or whatever. Part of it is action. But you also have to address the trauma that you've lived with and really, um, you know, address it in whatever way is most comfortable with you. You know, at Milpa we have, you know, women's círculos and men's círculos, you know, during the month. You know, Bernie uh, Gomez is one of our leaders there, one of our facilitators, come. You know, to come to the vertical or the virtual fire and, you know, burn some cedar and really heal, but and then heal and move to action. Because at, at, at the end, you know, you need to heal yourself, but part of the healing is to light somebody else on fire. Because, you know, Fred Ross, the senior organizer that actually I, I spoke earlier, went into South San Jose and found Cesar Chavez, went into Stockton and found Dolores Huerta, mother of 10 mother of 10, teacher to leave their job and join the CSO, which was the community service organization and then end up finding and forming the United Farm Workers. You know, Fred Ross said, the job of an organizer is a social arsonist and your job is to light other people on fire. That's what we gotta do. We gotta go to the fire and sometimes the fire is within us and sometimes it takes somebody else to, you know, fan it up. And, and really, you know, transform systems because we can't do it ourselves. So thank you for the opportunity to be here. Thank you for the space. Um and you know, love you all uh, love you all. Thank you. I hope Culture movement change makers, yeah we're there